Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. Well, a very good evening to you all. Happy Christmas. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm sorry. That was rubbish. Christmas Day is two weeks away. Let's try that again. There should be more excitement in the room. A very good evening, everyone. Happy Christmas to you. How are we doing today? Yeah, marvellous. Well, it's been quite a year, hasn't it? Very uh, unexpected year, very divisive year. And given the year that 2016 has been, you look like the kind of people that would like me to start this talk with a couple of Christmas cracker jokes. What do you think? Yeah. Uh, This is from a list of the best Christmas cracker jokes ever, so this is as good as it gets. In at number one, I say, I say, I say, how does good King Wenceslas like his pizzas? Oh, someone without a life over there. Congratulations. (laughs) Deep pan, crisp and even. Thank you very much. Uh, We're going to keep going until you laugh, just so you know. Uh, Number two, I say, I say, I say, how does Darth Vader like his Christmas turkey? On the dark side. There we go. (laughs) Uh, This is number three. Um, This is my favourite. Bit of a thinker, this one. Bit of a thinker. Uh, I say, I say, I say, who are the most annoying people on earth? Answer, animal psychologists. They really get your goat. (laughs) Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Rather arrogantly in my notes, I've written pause for laugh. (laughs) Hey-ho. Well, only two weeks to go until the big day, which means there's only two weeks until we get to open presents. That was always the most exciting part of Christmas for me growing up. Only one of the things I've realised recently is there has been a massive step up in the quality of presents than kids get today than when I was a lad growing up. I mean, if you, like me, are a child of the 70s or 80s, I'm a 79 kid myself, this was the best that you could hope for at Christmas. Some of you will remember these, Magna Doodle, 74, Comeback 78, the Rubik's Cube, 1980. Who remembers Care Bears, Cabbage Patch Dolls and Pound Puppies, yeah? Transformers, Optimus Prime, 1984, that was definitely me. Uh, In fact, help me out here uh, by way of applause. Uh, If you were born up to and including 1985, you'll remember some of these gifts. If you're born up to 1985, would you please signal by applause right now? My people, my people. (laughs) That's the sound of men and women who had to create their own fun growing up. (laughs) Our minds are alive with imagination and creativity. Now, compare those gifts with the gifts that the modern generation got to receive. Post-millennials, Generation Z, look at them. Born and raised amidst a technological revolution. Game Boy, Sega Game Gear, iPod, Kindle, Nintendo Wii... Now, just notice the tone and the vibe and the difference. If you were born from 1986 onwards, would you please signal by applause right now? It's louder, isn't it? All the muscles are in the hands from all those computer games. Yeah, Uh, very, very arrogant generation, you post-millennials, if you don't mind me saying. 
a very self-absorbed generation, also known as the selfie generation. In fact, this is my image of 2016. This is from Hillary Clinton's failed election campaign. This is typical Generation Z behaviour. It's not enough to get Hillary in the photo. A post-millennial needs to be in the photo as well. In fact, I, I had an absolutely brilliant put-down of one of you post-millennials recently. It's about a couple of weeks ago. I was shopping. I think it was in B&Q. And about 10 feet away, there's a typical post-millennial generation dinner out shopping with his dad. He's trying to take a selfie in one of the aisles. You know, you've seen the type 15 years old, stupid gelled hair, tight T-shirt, real poser. And his dad basically tells him, you know, put the phone away, stop showing off. And inside I'm going, yeah, go dad. And this teenage brat is like, oh, dad, you know, one of them. And then uh, a few seconds later, this, uh, this post-millennial, he goes, dad, he says... Yo, Dad, I'm down to uh, 12% body fat. <laughs> what have you got? <laughs> His dad, a genius, just goes, I don't know, money? <laughs> <laughs> he then says, quote, he says, how much petrol you got in your car? Maybe you want to walk to the gym next week, you might drop down to 11%. Come on, I'm like, oh, my new hero. <laughs> uh, but... Um, while presents have improved over the years, uh, over the last 10 years, my excitement levels at opening presents has dropped significantly. I'm like, what's been going on for the last decade? I realised 10 years ago, I got married. Changes everything in terms of the quality <laughs> of the presents that you receive. I mean, I should have realised on the wedding day itself. I mean, all the clues are there. Uh, whatever they tell you men about the wedding day, it's not your day. It is all her day. Now, I'll give you as exhibit A the outfits that the bride and groom wear. Bride's outfit costs hundreds, usually thousands of pounds. There are 12 separate fittings before the big day itself. After the wedding day, do you give the dress away? Oh, no. The wedding dress is carefully, lovingly cleaned, pressed, folded, sealed, wrapped in plastic, saved and preserved as an altar and shrine to take up space in your home and life for all eternity. That's the bride's outfit. Contrastingly, the groom's outfit is only rented. How's that fair? <laughs> and it's got to be back to the shop on Monday so someone else can wear it the following weekend. Never mind, men, that 500 other blokes have got married in your suit. You're still special. No, no, you're really not. Then exhibit B, there is the rings. Woman's ring, a sparkling thing of beauty, costs hundreds, often thousands of pounds. My ring, 59.99. Most jewellery shops I visited threw in the groom's ring free with hers. <laughs> why? Why, why? Because diamonds are a girl's... Yeah, thank you. Man's best friend is a dog. <laughs> who thought that up? Women thought that up. That's who. And so Christmases have gone throughout the years. Diamonds for her, dogs for me. It's basically the way Christmas works out. A couple of years ago, though, my wife did pull something out the bag. True story, the 25th of December, 2014, 6.30am, our kids are going crazy around the house, opening their Christmas stockings, and my wife hands me an unexpected present. I was like, oh, wow, I've given you just one diamond necklace this year, I wasn't expecting anything. And she was like, oh, no, no, this is really exciting, I want you to open it. So I open it up, my first Christmas present, Christmas Day, 2014, was a surprise, unexpected, positive pregnancy test. <laughs> uh, 
And of course, this was an unforgettable moment of great joy. <laughs> but you can't help all these anxieties and questions coming into your mind. You know, things like, how will we cope with a jump from two to three children? Can we really afford it? What if it's a girl? You know, all the usual, <laughs> all the usual fears. <laughs> then I remembered how pregnancy tests work. I was like, ah, they don't sterilize my hands. I know how you got that result. But lo and behold, Nine months later, the product of that moment came into our lives. Baby Emily Hope was born. And whatever gifts lie under the tree at Christmas, Christmas presents don't get any better than that. Now, here's the cheesy link into the whole God, Bible, Jesus, Christmas story thing. Kind of got me thinking. If the best present I could receive is a person rather than a present, if God was going to give a gift to the world this Christmas, what should he give. That's a great link. Because it really has been a year like no other that I can remember. We've had the European referendum. We've got President Trump. We've got a new prime minister ourselves. A whole load of wonderful celebrities have very sadly lost their lives this year. Some of them are coming up on the screen behind me. There have been terrorist attacks all over the world. More wars and conflicts than I can remember. In fact, this next map shows you where there has been war and conflict on Earth in 2016 alone. The darker the color, the more lives lost in that conflict. I think the new story that has affected me the most emotionally this year would be the refugee crisis. Record numbers in history of displaced peoples this year. 65 million. Just extraordinary. And our world as a result seems more divided than ever. The referendum campaign, whichever way you voted, was the most toxic election I can remember in my lifetime. The US election was similarly hostile in its rhetoric and tone. And it's not just politically that we are divided either. Just to give you one example, some of you may have read a book called Capital by a French writer called Thomas Piketty, created a stir a short while ago. In it, he astutely observed that we live at a pretty unprecedented time in history where over the last couple of decades, the rate of return on capital has vastly exceeded the rate of return on income. In other words, things like properties have gone up in price way more than the corresponding increase in salaries, which means one of the most pressing questions that people are asking all over the world right now is how on earth will I or my children ever be able to afford their own property? Which means what you now have is generations of people who feel economically excluded without ever being able to buy in. Even at that level, our world feels more fragmented than ever. And more than once this year, as I have watched the news stories unfold, I have found myself praying prayers or asking questions. God, why would you let that happen? Why don't you do something about that? I mean, we've just been singing the birth of the Christ child 2,000 years ago was supposedly heralded by angels in the sky singing peace on earth and goodwill to all men. Don't know about you, I'm still waiting for that peace to come. Why hasn't God brought peace on earth yet? Well, the answer to that question, which as an aside was never really a problem in the ancient world. They were well able to reconcile the idea of a loving God with the problem of suffering. But the answer to that question, why hasn't God brought peace on earth yet, is partly, and I think primarily this, love. It is love. Allow me to elaborate. I was hearing recently of a quite brilliant scholar who can speak 14 languages fluently who was doing a presentation to a large group of leaders, actually in Asia. And he got these leaders for a few seconds to imagine a scene or a symbol of peace. Maybe you want to do that right now. Imagine a scene of peace, see what kind of scene or symbol comes to mind. 
And this academic got these leaders to share what they had imagined. And they shared pictures like snow-covered mountains, tranquil lakes, flower-filled meadows. But each of these images, and perhaps many of the ones you just thought of, had one thing in common, and it was this. Not a single imagined image of peace contained a single human being. Isn't that interesting? One of the first things we do when we imagine, ah, peace, is we get rid of everybody else. I mean, that's the perfect Christmas scene, isn't it? Perfect Christmas scene was the night before Christmas when all round the house not a creature was stirring, not even a, not even a mouse. Perfect Christmas scene. The kids are all snuggled in bed upstairs, even the dog is snoozing by the fire, and the mother-in-law's travelling to yours via Southern Rail. <laughs> Perfect Christmas picture. First thing God could have done to bring peace on earth is let's just get rid of all the people. I, for one, am glad he did not choose that option. Well, if he's not going to do that, he's got a second option. God wants to bring peace on earth. He could step in directly and start controlling everyone. Uh, many of you will remember this. The low point of last Christmas for me, the low point of Christmas 2015, was my kids decided that I have a new celebrity lookalike. Uh, is it a handsome film star like Tom Cruise, I hear you ask? Sadly, no. Is it a dashing young Jedi warrior from the new Star Wars movie? Also, no. Is it a handsome young Disney prince who slays a dragon, wins a princess, and saves the day? Also, no. For some reason, my children have decided that their daddy resembles the arch-villain Gru from Despicable Me. <laughs> right? Okay, shut up, okay? <laughs> shut up. <laughs> now... If you've ever watched the film, you'll know the Gru takes charge of three children and he tries to bring peace on earth to his household by setting a whole load of rules. He says, you can touch the floor, you can breathe the air, but that's it and then we will have peace. And of course, if you have watched the movie, you will know it does not work at all. I mean, I can relate to this. One of the best presents I ever received at Christmas was a brand new puppy. This is me at 11 years old. What a cutie. Puppy's pretty, pretty cute as well. I think you'd agree. It's my garden in Birmingham. And if you've ever had a young dog, you'll know one of the things you have to do is take the dog dog training. And what they tell you there is if you want the best behaved dog possible, the one thing you have to do to the dog is communicate who is boss. So, for example, they'll say, never get down on your hands and knees and look the dog in the eye. Sorry, you're the dog in this metaphor. I didn't really mean that personally. <laughs> because the dog will think that you are its equal. Don't do that. If the dog is scratching to go out, don't simply let the dog out into the garden. No, first make the dog obey you in something so it knows who's boss. Then let the dog out and do whatever it wants to do. In anything and everything you do, reinforce the authority paradigm. Up here, controlling down there. You're the boss, you're in charge, you're in control. And to be honest, I look back at that and I chuckle to myself. Because I have met people who live their lives just like that. In fact, I know people who live their lives just like that. And my wife is someone who knows people just <laughs> like that. And the number one reason that that approach does not work is the very first thing you lose when you try and control other people, it's love. It is love. You cannot have the two coexisting. I mean, you just try this Christmas. Go to one of your relatives and say, I command you to do this and see what kind of loving response that you get. 
It just doesn't work. Some of you will remember a book, TV series film, called The Stepford Wives. If you've not seen it, the story is essentially that in this cute American suburban town, the wives of Stepford are systematically replaced with perfect-looking robot versions of themselves. So they behave perfectly and sweetly the whole time. There's no falling out. There's no disagreements. There's no need for trust. But of course, there is no love. Now, of course, the point is this. Is there any husband or boyfriend here, really deep down, that would want to sacrifice love for a perfect robot wife or girlfriend who never disagrees with them, does everything they say, and whose total focus is their every pleasure? You paused a bit too long there. <laughs> the answer to every husband and boyfriend there is no. You definitely don't want that. Stepford turns out to be a nightmare community. Why? Because the whole beauty of love is, wow, they chose me, which means at any point they could unchoose me. Love comes with vulnerability, risk, the possibility of rejection and pain, and that does not exist in Stepford. So if God thinks love is worth it and he is to bring peace on earth, he's not going to wipe everybody out. He's not going to directly step in and start controlling everybody. So what's he going to do? Enter the Christmas story. And whatever you think about politicians today, spare a thought for those who lived in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. But the very first thing we read after the birth of Jesus, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, is that he was born during the time of King Herod. Anyone at the time would think, oh, I know what that guy was like. He came to power by slaughtering thousands of Jews. He then amassed loads of wealth, largely by overtaxing the population, probably up to around about 90% of their income. In fact, some scholars think he was possibly not just the richest man alive back then, possibly the richest man to have ever lived, ever. He had a personal payroll of over 500,000 employees. I mean, Bill Gates has a paper route compared to him. He was the kid who had all the toys, and he didn't want to share any of them. Any threat to his power was met with immediate extermination that included his wives and sons. In fact, if you read the account of their deaths, it is incredibly traumatic. To give you an idea of the kind of guy he was, as he grew older, he ordered that all the most influential Jews be rounded up and herded into a stadium that he'd had built, barricaded in, and he issued an order that when he died, they should all be executed so there would at least be some weeping in Jerusalem on the day of his death. He was a monster. Jesus was born during the time of King Herod. And so when a few wise men turn up at the palace and say, hey, Herod, we've heard there's a new king in town who's not you, and we want to worship him, imagine how he reacted. He found out where, and then had all the babies there executed. And so Jesus, supposedly God on earth, ends up becoming a refugee. I found that fascinating. God supposedly looks down at this broken world in need of healing. Doesn't get rid of Herod, doesn't try and control Herod. That just makes God another version of Herod. Strongest dude wins. Doesn't solve the refugee problem, ends up becoming a refugee. Just extraordinary. Why? Why would he do that? Why is that his master plan? Well, maybe here is the answer. Maybe it is because the problem of a lack of peace on earth does not just lie out there, maybe it also lies in here. You see, without being rude to anybody here, when I imagined my ah scene of peace a few moments ago, I did not imagine any of you. And I'm guessing you did not 
picture me. Maybe the problem of a lack of peace on earth doesn't just lie out there, but also lies in here. I am not on Facebook myself, but my wife is. And sometimes I come down in the morning to my laptop, I open my computer, and her Facebook profile is there, and I see the things that you lot have posted. By far and away, the very best post I have ever seen any of you put on Facebook came six years ago this Christmas from a guy in Christchurch called Pete Keane. Many of you know him, he's a good friend of mine, and uh, he came to the first carol service this afternoon. This is my favourite ever Facebook post. He wrote these words. Wounder, I've been married for two weeks, 14 days, and my wife just made me realise that for the last two years, I've been washing my clothes with dishwasher tablets. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> Our fairy king this Christmas. Now, the reason that I was forced to use that illustration was for a profound point in the talk, which is this. When I'm on my own, I think, hey, I'm fine. There's no problem with me. But the moment I get around other people, say at Christmas time, I realize all is not well in here. Metaphorically speaking, we are all washing our clothes with dishwasher tablets. We all have our blind spots. Put me around family at Christmas and I realize I am way more selfish, greedy, and lazy than I thought. I care a little too much what presents there are for me under the tree. When I am tucking into my Christmas dinner, I don't give too many thoughts for those who have nothing to eat this Christmas. When I open my nice new clothes on Christmas Day, my first question is not, oh, were these ethically sourced? Or was somebody else halfway around the world taken advantage of so I can look nice here in the Western world? The problem of a lack of peace on earth doesn't just lie out there. It also lies in here. And I, for one, am really glad that the message of Christmas is that God did not look down and think, you know what, to make the world a more peaceful place, let's just get rid of Andy. I am glad that the message of Christmas is not, you know what, let's just turn Andy into a Stepford robot and control him. So everything he does, he's programmed to do. That'll make the world better. No, instead, God doesn't do either of those. He ends up coming to earth, weak, frail, ends up becoming a refugee, not simply to show us a better value system. So if I stop living for myself and get caught up in a greater story, the world will be a better place. No, he takes it one step further. He ends up going to the cross, that's the story of Easter, and giving up his very life. So much so that if I choose to lay down self and follow the God-man, I can get connected to God himself, and then he then brings a sense of peace on earth in here, that I might be the kind of person who brings peace on earth out there. It is the greatest story ever told, you couldn't make it up. And it's why, as an aside, the church should be at the forefront of caring for people like refugees of serving orphans and widows, of providing food for the hungry, shelter for the homeless, befriending the lonely, comforting the grieving. That's why we're here. The story of Christmas is God plays the long game. He brings a sense of peace on earth in here that we might be the ones who bring peace on earth out there, life after life after life after life. And as an aside, if any of you would like to dig deeper into what I think is the greatest story ever told and the central character in it, Jesus Christ, there are a number of ways that you can do just that. Firstly, we would love to invite you back to church on a Sunday. We have four meetings in four locations at four different times every Sunday. Loads of options, and we are working hard to build a community where people who have faith and people who don't have faith can be friends. 
We've got loads to learn from each other. None of us have got it all figured out. We're all on a journey together. Come back any Sunday. We'd love you here. Secondly, you might want to try a course called the Alpha Course. Over 4 million people have now done it in the UK, many more millions overseas. It's just a brilliant intro into the whole faith, Christianity, Jesus deal, what is life all about. Basically, it's totally free of charge. You go along, you get free food, you then watch a 25-minute film, you then in smaller groups discuss what did you think of the content, and you come to whatever conclusion that you want. Hopefully, it's a chance to make some great friends as well. We've got four courses starting at the end of January. They run for eight weeks. Uh, I will be hosting the one in Covent Garden in Seven Dials. The one way down south in Sutton is even going to be in my home. You are welcome at any of them. We'd love to see you there. If you can't wait that long, maybe there's a couple of books you might want to add to your Christmas list. These two are by a brilliant author called Tim Keller. They are superbly academically researched. I mean, they're just exemplary in that regard, making sense of God and the reason for God. And they really grapple with some of the biggest questions, objections to the whole Christian faith. Really commend them to you, really stimulate the mind. And as an aside, one of our connect groups in church, which is a community that meets outside of Sundays, great way of building friendships in this at times lonely city, is called Seek. And it's primarily made up of people who don't have faith, have got struggles, doubts, or questions, but want to find out more. In the new year, I think they're going to go through one of those Tim Keller books, a bit like a book club. You get a book, you read a chapter a week, come back the following week, see your friends, catch up, and say, hey, what did you think of that last chapter? Whichever you choose. I read a stat recently that in the Western world, people spend more time online researching car insurance prices than they do looking into the most influential person who's ever lived, Jesus Christ. Why not buck the trend in 2017? And maybe you will discover the one who can bring peace on earth in here that we might be the ones who bring peace on earth out there. I had an amazing story about a guy called Jose Miguel Solikov. It's basically an advertising executive. And he was brought in in Colombia to persuade leftist guerrilla rebels to down their arms and re-enter society. I mean, these were angry, dangerous men with pretty dark pasts. And everything they tried, nothing really had worked. And Jose Miguel Solikov had a momentary revelation. He realized that the biggest question that these rebels were asking were essentially, after all that I have done, surely all that people want to do for a more peaceful Colombia is get rid of me, kill me, fight me, or control me, lock me up, imprison me. Would there be anybody who gives me a second chance, who takes me back after the kind of war that we've been in? And so Jose Miguel Solikov launched a campaign called Operation Christmas, culminated in something called Mother's Voices. He tracked down the families of the rebels, got them to provide photos of the soldiers as children and record messages into tape recorders, which essentially went like this. Before you were a rebel, you were my son. And the rebels realized, wow, after all I've done, they want to play the long game. They want to bring peace on earth by welcoming me back into a family. And all oh, they laid down arms and peace began to come. That's the story of Christmas. And as a loving father, I can relate to this. I remember three years ago, New Year, Joy had just gone back to work after Christmas. I'm on a daddy daycare day, doing a few odd jobs around the house. I've got a two-year-old and a one-year-old, and I accidentally, for 90 seconds, left them alone in our living room with a bag of tools. I heard a clump from upstairs. I ran downstairs. I found my two-year-old with a hammer and the one-year-old with the nails that were all over the room. Serious pain was about to be inflicted on each other and our living room. And of course, as loving father, I didn't want to just, oh, you're going to cause pain. Let's just get rid of you or let's just lock you up. 
And I remember swooping in. Got the tools out of their hands. They were shocked. They began to cry. I just held them in my arms. I remember saying over and over, oh, I'm so glad you're safe. Oh, I'm so glad you're safe. Oh, I'm so glad you're too young to tell mommy about this. I'm just... (laughs) Just so glad. That's the story of Christmas. God looks at us in our worst of moments. Doesn't want to get rid of us. Doesn't want to control us wants to bring peace in here that we might get caught up into a better story than our own. There's a greater plan for a life than simply living for myself. That's the message of Christmas. And so this Christmas time, whatever heated disagreements you might get into around the Christmas table with your relatives on Christmas Day, however much your in-laws might get on your nerves, and whatever disappointments might lurk underneath the Christmas tree for you, remember this. That the very best thing that you can do this Christmas is not seek out a quiet, tranquil lake, nor grab the remote control and try and control everybody around you. The very best thing you can do this Christmas is love. And the more challenging the people, the greater the opportunity for love. Why not be a bringer of peace on earth this Christmas? But also remember this, that the greatest thing that can happen to you this Christmas does not lie in a neatly wrapped box under the tree. The greatest thing that can happen to you this Christmas is you realize in your worst of moments that the Christmas message is about a God who looks at you in those moments and says, hey, I love you. And I've got a great plan for your life. Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, you are deeply, greatly loved. And as Gandalf said to one of the hobbits in Lord of the Rings, that is a very encouraging thought. May I wish you a brilliant Christmas. I hope in 2017, all your expectations are met and then some more. But more than all of that, I hope whether you have faith or not, through exploring the person of Jesus, that you encounter some of the peace on earth that's possible in here, that you might bring peace on earth out there. May we pray together. Father, I want to thank you so much for the Christmas story. And I want to thank you for every single person in this room right now. And I want to pray that over this festive season, that we would all dig deeper into the powerful message of Christmas. That you would somehow to our hearts communicate how much we are loved by a God in heaven who sent his son Jesus to live a different kind of life and to end up giving up his life for us. And as we meet him, I pray you would catch us up in the story to bring peace on earth wherever we go in the coming year, that you would use our hands and feet, so to speak, to bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We ask this in your name and for your glory. Amen. Would you like to stand to your feet? Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.